Welcome to Loneliness in the Pit, Episode 3. It's going to be titled, What's Wrong With You? Loneliness in the Pit is, as I've said before, a look at loneliness and depression and how to deal with it in 21st century America. Specifically from the point of view of one person, that being myself, Ronaldo Sears Jr., your run-of-the-mill blue-collar worker from South Carolina. On this episode, like I said, and as, as we've talked about, this is the reason why I'm looking at it is because it's something that kind of came up recently in my life. And in the last episode, I talked about nuance. Nuance is kind of the guiding light for going forward because not everybody's the same. Not everybody goes through these things the same. But you, you kind of search the zeitgeist out and you begin to kind of glean that there is this general feeling of loneliness you talk to people in your life who say I just I just don't have people around me like I used to have you see people online you see this like burgeoning community of people there's so many people that are so separated from each other it's rather alarming to look at and you go through it in your own personal life you look and you go hmm something's going on here and the reason why this bothers me is because it gets talked about, but it never gets talked about on the bigger platforms from the aspect of somebody who's all alone. I mean, I've seen it in a couple occasions. I know I'm, I know I'm seem like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but you know, when you, I remember other podcasts dealing with loneliness when I was going through it. I said, I need to find some place that to where I can hear somebody put this into words, and I'd see podcasts that were very helpful. They were very good, and they really made a good go at it. And you begin to sense that there is this growing concern, but you never could find the one that said, "Listen, if I didn't have any family." I would be all alone in this. And that's the weird part. You really can't talk about it. And I have this discussion and conversation with my parents because I'll talk to them and they'll say, yeah, I really don't have a lot of people, but I have this one friend. Now, a couple friends from high school, maybe some old friends. My father, he's was popular back in his hometown, Alabama. He has a few people he can go to. People that he grew up with. It's interesting. My mother, she has one or two friends, but I, I seem to follow her track more carefully. I follow her track of finding myself often on the outside. And when I talk about loneliness it's and depression, as I've said I have to provide a caveat because, you know, we have this thing out in our society where people like to spot check you and say, well, you're not a medical professional. I go, I, obviously, I never claim to be. I never claim to be a doctor or anything sort of a medical professional. I, I merely claim to be a person in the shell hole on the Western Front. That's all I claim to be. And I'm talking about what I see when I look around. It's basically the movie 1917. You're the soldier on the Western Front. What do you see? What are you experiencing? That is all it is. I never made any claim to be anything else other than that. But it, it's this idea that you can walk into a room, that you move through your life, you move through many social circles, and nobody latches on to you. You don't latch on to anybody. You don't have that connection that you once had. For me, it was the connections that I, that I used to have with friends, people that I used to talk to, people that I used to be able to reach out to. All of a sudden, it disappeared. And it kind of creates this sort of phenomenon where now you're, whenever you get close to people, 
you kind of shy away because you've been burned before. I've had very close friends where I've gone to their weddings in Chicago and talked to them, met their parents, had a great time. We spent all our army career together, called them up one day. They say, I'll call you back tomorrow. And I never heard from them in five years. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where I, I just began to give up, you know. And, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to my bogeyman of choice. Because it's it's really the fly in the ointment is the social media. It's the one thing that it's the common factor. It's this thing that's been almost with a kind of a well marketed, well branded syringe been placed into the bloodstream, and it creates side effects. And I'm thinking maybe this is there's something more to this than that. And how does it impact something like depression? Now my life isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. The usual 21st century gamut of marital issues, financial issues, this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, there are several seminal events that kind of plunged me into the pit of depression. It wasn't just like I'm feeling bad for a couple of days. I'm talking about weeks of just feeling like every day I go to work thinking, why am I alive? I should really, really, really be dead. It's it's almost a perverse version of Dante from Clerks, where he always mutters the line, "Whenever something happens, I'm not supposed to be here." And that's what it was. That's what it got to me. That's where it got to with me. I was like, "I'm not supposed to be here. I'm kind of an aberrant program in this computer system of 21st century America, where everybody's happy on social media, everybody has friends, and I'm kind of the unwanted program code." And you begin to see that, and what happens is it feeds. And I made a kind of a metaphor of a of a spider wasp. Spider wasp, which of course kills the spider, drags it to its lair. What well, doesn't kill it? Kind of numbs it, then lays the eggs on it. And then what happens? The eggs grow up and eat the spider and keep it moving. And another spider wasp goes off and finds another spider. It's a bizarre cycle, right? But it's almost a circle of life, inversely oriented, where you begin to feel like you can't talk to anybody. And because you can't talk to anybody, you feel isolated. Because you feel isolated, you feel worthless. And because you feel worthless, you isolate yourself. And it goes in a circle and over and over. So, that being said, I want to jump into the meat of the discussion. Well, maybe the meat. Maybe, maybe the chicken fingers. Because I, I, I begin to bring this up and I begin to ask people and talk to people, you know, even people who I no longer really have good communications with, right? But something that would come up commonly, and this is from people, and remember I said you have to operate this with nuance. You can't assume that people just are uncaring or unconcerned. Maybe they don't know. They don't understand it. You can't experience their life and they can't experience you. That's what makes human interaction so fascinating and what makes social media such a nefarious component. And they'll say something along the lines of, well, what is it that you're doing? What's wrong with you? What are you doing wrong? And I think that's a very valid question. Because one thing that we're not very good at in 21st century America, if you've ever been on social media, which is kind of, which, 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 which should already be kind of a clue that it's a problem, is kind of our bellwether for our societal ills. We're not good at taking criticism or giving it really well. But taking criticism is something that we are kind of categorically programmed to react against. It's kind of where this thing, you know, sort of fetish for the word haters come from or being real. Oh, these are my haters, you know. They're just jealous. It's like, maybe something is wrong with you, you know what I mean? And that's something that you have to learn in your life. 
So, you know, maybe it's something that I'm doing that's precipitating my being alone. You know, maybe I'm not being the person I should be. And, you know, when, when you first hear that from somebody, you know, listen, give them credit. It stings. They may not know it stings, but take it as is. The first thing you need for this podcast is a mirror. Now, keep in mind, even if you have a mirror, it doesn't mean you're actually seeing who you really are. You're seeing a reflection of who you are and you're perceiving what you want to see in that reflection. You have to be able to try to see yourself as others see you. It's kind of hard to do. And so one of my family members would say, well, you know, you know, you're not the most friendly person. And, you know, and you take that criticism and go, maybe I'm not the most friendly. That wasn't true. No, because my my wife had said that. She's like, you're not the most friendly person. And you go, um, that's not entirely true. You don't have any data because you knew, but you kind of react against it because you go, I'm not friendly. And and I realize that the one thing that I do have is a externally when you see me, you walk up on me, I have a stern demeanor. I'm not walking and smiling all the time. I, I innately distrust happy people. Why? I'm kind of looking at them going like, either you have the inside straight on life or you're the biggest fake. I don't trust innately happy people. Something is up with them. It makes my skin crawl. <laughs> people who are high energy and super hyper and happy, I have a, a deep-seated contempt and distrust of. Not because they're bad people, but because like, there's something about them. And it, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. It's like, what's up with them? Why are they, why are they sitting there cheesing all the time? And you see them and you go, do you ever have a down? Do you ever have any bad moments? Do you have any depressed moments? Or are you just, or did, or did you hog all the good and I hog all the bad? And so I have all the depression, you have all the happiness. And, you know, not to use profanity too much, but I do use profanity because it, for emphasis sake, um, one of my family members said, well, you know, you, you know, you have resting and they call it resting bitch face. Which is apparently just a moniker to describe, kind of a kind of a sour puss expression, most commonly found on young women in their twenties who are in the prime of their life who kind of feel invincible, and they can just walk around with a face, a look of almost disdain for the entire world on their face. It's a funny moniker, but I, I do rather have a stern demeanor. It's not because I'm angry all the time, but because you look angry, I go, mm, no, you haven't seen me angry. Trust me, you'd know if I was angry. But people don't know that. And so you take that criticism, you know, my stern demeanor, maybe my stern mannerisms, and you say, well, is that what's causing me to be essentially friendless? And you have to, you know, like I said, you have to take the nuance because the reality is I, I don't go being nasty or mean to people. Now, obviously, like I said, if you cross me, You'll get the smoke. Nothing crazy, but, you know, nothing out of the ordinary that most ordinary people, I would think, would do. But I always gets painted as this reason, this this resting bitch face is such a thing. And I go, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I think that's oversimplifying. I think that's looking for the easy way out. Because I could no more say the resting bitch face causes me not to have friends than the smiley person. Just maybe they do. Maybe they attract people. Because when I do interact with people, I'm very friendly and open and honest. And, and frankly, you know, like I said, you can't find any 
fights or any any sort of thing that I do that would precipitate somebody going, this person's a bad person. You just look back on your record and go, have I done this thing? I've had arguments with people and I've been open about it, but it goes back to that part where, say, I do have a rather stern demeanor on my face all the time. You know what I'm saying? I walk around, I, I look serious, look stern, look a little bit dialed in. Are you supposed to be who you really are? And this is another question I came up with. I was looking at it, I was writing my notes, and I said, Are you supposed to be who you really are now? Or are you supposed to be what you think people want to see? Because my, my, my resting bitch face is just natural. I just walk in, I have this look like, whatever. Now, I, when I interact, I, my facial expressions change, but I do kind of have a dialed-in expression. But it kind of leads into this bigger question, you know. You look for reasons why. And you look, start with yourself. Why am I all of a sudden sitting here, 36 years old, truck driver, master's degree, been all over the world, traveled, this and that. I don't have any one friend that I could call right now. What in my life led to that? And you have to say, what did I do? And... The one thing that you always want to say with anything is that you did everything that you could do. And one of the parts where the loneliness and depression feeds the monster is you almost become inoculated against doing all that you can because you have a track record of doing what you can and it not working out. I don't even know going forward how you would make a friend. That seems bizarre. I I could more I could easily more easily get another girlfriend than make another actual friend. That's the weird thing. I have people that I talk to and associates at work and you try to cultivate those relationships. And I'm working on that, you know? People in the trucking world because you know, trucking and you're starting to find that and you and I'm starting to kind of think that the thing to find people is to do things. Sounds weird. You just have to get into the mix. And it it's not even like, you know, oh, go out with a singles group or an activity group of people. That, that, that to me, and this is just me personally, it's almost an admission of defeat. It's almost like I need help. And, and nothing wrong with admitting it. I just have this, I'd rather come across it organically than have like a group. I, I don't even know about that community. And I don't dog the people who go there. Listen, more power to you. Listen, you'll never know until you try, right? And that's kind of what it is. But you look around and you get into the mix and you formulate these relationships. But you're always aware that they have friends and stuff they hang out with on the weekend. You see them at work. Because trucking is like where you, you talk to people at work when you're at them at work and everything. You're talking, you're talking for hours, but once work's over, and maybe this is the way work has changed now because you don't live in the same towns. Once work's over, you know, you're on your own. I go back to my depression. I go back to my house in suburbia, which I innately despise. I go back to my wife. I go back to my children. And, you know, you realize that it kind of affects your relationship with them because, say, me and my wife aren't getting along. And I don't have anybody to bounce off of now, right? I'm stuck with this person now. And the children get the negative affects of it, right? It creates kind of a category four storm, you know? Hot air meets the cold air over the Great Plains. The next thing you know, you've got a mile-wide wall of wind going through your town. So, but I, I want to go back to that point earlier. Are you supposed to be who you are? 
Because part of the criticism is looking at yourself and looking in the mirror and saying, okay, what am I portraying and projecting? Because there's a lot of emphasis on image consulting. Image consulting, image, image portrayal. And it's something that I, I, I don't know. I, I have this knee-jerk reaction against. I'd rather know who I'm dealing with up front than to have to find out later. And you know this if you're married. You, you wish you'd known about your spouse up front, who they were, rather than, you know, finding out down the road. And that's, that's where social media comes in because social media has given us its, its inclination. And, you know, I've had a bunch, not a bunch, but like 300-something Facebook friends. And I looked on the profiles one day and I realized none of these people are actively in my life. I just got rid of 150. Just There were times in our life where we interacted and we had a relationship, but I don't see the need to hang on to it just because it adds numbers to a profile. It's this weird sort of psychology that we're we're creating where we have numbers and we quantify everything and we kind of heard things called friends, but do we have any real meaningful, close, deep down relationships? My father has one or two close friends, but those are lifelong things. You can't find that on Facebook, man. It doesn't exist out there. It's 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 in the flesh. It's going through things together. It's playing sports together, going through trials together. It's just being there when you need somebody. And, you know, the computer thing is, um, I don't know. It, it creates this false impression of people who never have needs. <laughs> and when they do get on Facebook and kind of show their colors, it's almost a shock. You ever notice when somebody gets on Facebook and just has this rant where they seem almost unhinged and people kind of have this whoa reaction? I'm thinking, you do know humans have downers, right? Because it's such a shock to us because Facebook, we're supposed to put pictures and funny this and we're supposed to portray ourselves as good. And, I mean, listen, you, I, I would I would almost almost bet my soul that some of the most miserable person are these Instagram models. I mean, can you imagine? Just, you know, I, I couldn't imagine. And, and I, I don't know. But I could not fathom what it would be like to have 10 million followers knowing that 8 million of them lusted after you and other ones were jealous of you. But you never could have that meaningful relationship like you had with somebody when you were a kid. I'd almost give the whole world for that. I don't know what that's like. Does that make you feel more alone? Because you see them when they, they take pictures and they pose. And Fortunately, I have a phobia of cameras. I developed a phobia later life. But I don't know. As I, as I look at it, and I, I'm fascinated by it, just on a bigger picture scale, because we try to emulate it on a lower level, right? We get our, our accounts have followers, but, you know, people, would you rather have 10,000 followers or would you rather have zero followers? But it, it creates this kind of image where, are they as lonely as I am? They just don't look as lonely. I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to argue that even as observing my life, as I begin to wrap this up, I'm not going to sit there and pretend that I could just go to your car and pull out several fuses and a few spark plugs, change some things around, change the fuse alignment around, then start your car and it's going to run the exact same way. I'm not going to pretend that for five minutes. I'd be a liar. Any mechanic worth their salt would be a liar. So as I sit here in this world where I've watched relationships that were meaningful, that were really good, and I do miss them dissipate into the mist. As I'm left with a Facebook account of people who 
<laughs> Let's be frank. Wouldn't know if I dropped dead. And it creates that sort of feeling of isolation. I'm not going to pretend that this new thing that just got put into the bloodstream isn't a thing. I, listen, it may have some good aspects and some, some good things that it brings. But am I going to sit there and pretend like it's no thing? Nah. But I think, like I said, to take what I wanted from this episode is to be able to look at yourself and kind of look at yourself first. And, and, you know, I'm not saying anything wrong with you, but look at yourself and be honest with yourself. And you have to be willing to be honest with yourself because the minute that you are willing to be honest with yourself, you'll know when you are wrong. But conversely, you'll know when you're right and you'll be able to stand on it. That's the key. So when I get told I have resting bitch face, I say, listen, yeah, I have a stern demeanor. But you haven't seen me go after somebody or hurt somebody or harm somebody. So it doesn't add up. So that it's not that. It may be some other aspect maybe that I'm not aware of. I'm going to counseling, talking about it. But like I said, just food for thought. Because like I said, in a society where we're taught to drop everything in 140 characters and just spit things out as fast as we think, sometimes when you slow down and just ponder, meditate, our brains don't work as hard as they need to. And that being said, hopefully I'll get to another episode in a couple of days out. Like I said, if anybody ever listens to this, I'm enjoying the experience doing it because it's fascinating to kind of sit there and go, you hear your voice put out there? That's bizarre. And, they, and then, of course, the phone send you a little notification. You're on this app. You're on that app. Like, oh, I'm on an app? Listen, I'm a Luddite. I'm enjoying the Luddite journey. It may never go anywhere, but all said and done the other time, I'll say, mm. I had a podcast with three episodes. And thank you if you listen to this. And like I said, if you're feeling depressed, obviously talk to somebody, therapist, a counselor. And for me, like I said, I... What do I do? I go out, work my garden. That That's cathartic. Find catharsis. Work the garden. Exercise. Something where I do something physical. I have to put my body into physical state because all of a sudden it's like it releases something. And wish you all the best. We'll catch you on the flip side.